Um, it, was, uh, it, it is actually something that was named that uh, in Scripture. So I, I always thought that was neat once I realized what Ebenezer actually uh, meant. It means rock of hope. Um, so uh, if you want to open your copy of God's Word to Philippians chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 4. And once you get there, uh, I, I want to draw your attention back for just a second to your, uh, your copy of the Apostles' Creed that's in the middle of your bulletin, because you might say, what? Uh, I thought we were going to do the communion of the saints today, but the sermon is named the Fellowship of the Saints. Uh, well, if you look down the Apostles' Creed, we've been going clause by clause through this, because it's a, it's a great sum up of the basics of Christian doctrine, and we've gone through every clause up to it, up through... The communion of saints, which is where you'd think we would be today. And that is where we are today. Well, if you go back to one of the earliest forms of this, which was in Greek, that's the word koinonia. Communion's the word koinonia. Anybody ever heard the word koinonia before? If you've been in a, in, in a church for long, you might have heard somebody use the word koinonia, even if they never defined it to you. Um, koinonia is a Greek word that means fellowship. Now, when you hear fellowship as a church, what do you think of? Yes. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. We are Baptists. When we hear fellowship, we think about that nice room down there that's got all the tables. And usually when we say fellowship, we are sitting at the tables and the food is sitting on them. Right? It might be potluck. It might be finger food. It might be the great, the great Baptist bird, fried chicken. Anybody? Amen. Yes. Um, it, it might be any number of those things. Uh, but biblically, that's not what fellowship is. Have you ever heard somebody being granted a fellowship at a hospital or at a university? Ever heard that w word used there? That's closer to what we're talking about when we talk about the fellowship of the saints. Uh, that a fellowship at a, at a hospital or a university means that someone has taken a position in order to kind of put their shoulder to the plow with the other people in that department and help them get it done. So they're all working together. They, are, uh, they have kind of a unified philosophy of how things get done. They have a unified idea of what they believe at a university or a hospital, they have the same philosophy of maybe medicine or the same idea of uh, literature or history at a university. But the fellowship of the saints is a little bit different. Fellowship, koinonia, means you hold something in common. That you've got something that relates you one to another. And when we say saints... I don't mean saints like Saint so-and-so or Saint so-and-so. I mean any of y'all that know Jesus. Biblically, you're a saint. If you know Jesus, that's, that's what you are. That's who you are in the, in the eyes of God. And fellowship, I use this word instead of communion because some people think of communion as, you know, the, the grape juice in the, in, in the cracker, the grape juice in the bread, the cup in the in the the broken bread. No. The reason it's called communion is because we are, the reason people call that communion is because we are displaying our fellowship with Christ and with each other. So when we talk about the fellowship of the saints, 
We're talking about the fact that Christians are united with one another because we know the same Christ. We experience the same blessings from Him. We get the same benefits from Him. We suffer the same sufferings as Him and as each other. So if you are a Christian, there are things that you can share with other Christians that you cannot share with anybody else who does not know Jesus. And I don't mean that like we've got secrets, like Stapleton Baptist Church has got a secret handshake that only members know. That's not what I mean. What I mean is, if you've got friends who are Christians and friends who are non-Christians, have you ever noticed that your friendship can only get so deep with the non-Christians before things Stop matching up. Have you ever noticed that? That your idea of what you do for fun and their idea of what they do for fun diverges pretty quick, doesn't it? The way you deal with with trouble and the way they deal with trouble tends to be very different, doesn't it? The way you handle stress and the way they handle stress tends to be very different, doesn't it? That Christians can share those experiences, whereas non-Christians do not share those experiences with us. So, we're going to talk about what it means to have a healthy fellowship of the saints today. So, if you will stand with me out of respect for the reading of God's Word, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 1 through 4. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. God's Word says, Therefore... If there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others." Father, we thank you for your word, and Lord, I do pray that for Stapleton Baptist Church and for the church at large, Lord, that we would truly have biblical fellowship with one another and glorify you therein. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. So I want us to look at three truths about fellowship this morning. I want us to see three things that fellowship means. And the first is that fellowship means thinking more like one another. Uh, Thinking like someone is almost vilified in 2018 that we value as a culture we seem to value independent thinkers Um, and, and there's a lot of good in that okay but let's see what Paul has to say first he says in verse one he says therefore so basic bible study when you see a therefore what do you do you go back and see what the therefore is there for Um, Anytime you see therefore, that means the author of Scripture is pointing you back to something that he said usually immediately prior. So if you look back at chapter 1, just immediately in verses 27 through 30, they read thusly, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit. Do you hear that? One spirit with one mind. Striving together for the faith of the gospel. And not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. 
For, it, for to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here is in me. Throughout the entirety of the book of Philippians, what Paul is addressing seems to be a couple of believers in the Philippian church knocking heads. That there was conflict amongst the believers there. And really, it, it kind of boils down, if you get to chapter 4, finally toward the end of the book, he, he starts naming names. In chapter 4, verse 2, he says, I implore Euodia and I implore Syntyche. Name your children that. Name them Euodia and Syntyche. No, he says, I implore Euodia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, to help these women who labored with me in the gospel. That you've got two believers that for some reason, we're not given the reason why they're fighting with each other. We're not given the reason why they're not seeing eye to eye. But Paul spends this entire book telling them, guys, you got more in common than you got different. And none of these people outside, they're not your friends the way the people in the church are. They don't understand life. They don't see life. They don't see suffering the way you do. So when you're suffering together with the sufferings of Christ, why in the world are you going to cause each other more suffering? Have you ever considered that, church? That Christ has saved us and He's called us out of the world. And Jesus said, the entire world is going to hate you for my name's sake. So if Jesus says everybody outside the church is going to hate you because of Jesus, why would we hate somebody else in the church? Isn't there enough hate already? Isn't there enough anger already? Isn't there enough meanness already? So Paul, to just kind of sum up 27 through 30, it's a worthy Christian attitude for believers in Christ to stand together in love and support one another because we've got enough adversaries in the world that we ought not make adversaries out of each other. We've been granted the privilege of suffering for Christ and only Christians value and understand that when they see it in other Christians. So there is a community surrounding what we share with Christ and with each other. That should be what binds us together. Not a fifth Sunday fellowship meal. Okay? So that, that's the therefore. So Paul says, therefore, if, when he says if, he means that is since. You know, so you can kind of, that's the, the gist of the Greek word here. Therefore, if or since, there is any consolation in Christ. Some translations read that as encouragement. Control, consolation, encouragement. If Jesus Christ, if knowing Him causes you any comfort, if knowing Him causes you any encouragement, have you ever just been having a bad day and nothing works and you go, you know what, even if everything else just completely lights on fire and falls apart, I've still got Jesus. If that day hadn't come, that day will come. If there is any consolation, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any comfort of love, have you ever been comforted by the fact that you know God loves you? I heard one guy say, somebody tell a story, I wish I knew the name 
of the man who did this. I could look it up and tell you. He was an old theologian, and he had a bunch of young seminary, bunch of seminary young bucks in front of him, and they were doing a Q&A. They asked him, in, in all of your years of studying the Bible and ministry, what is the deepest theological truth you've ever come to understand? He just leaned up to the mic and said, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That was it. A lifetime of studying the Bible. And that was the deepest truth he ever got. And that's the deepest truth there is. If there's any comfort of love, that Jesus loves you and that's ever made your day better. If any fellowship of the Spirit, now of the Spirit can mean fellowship with each other because you both share the Spirit or fellowship with the Spirit Himself. If you've ever been encouraged because you, you know that the Holy Spirit is with you. He's encouraging you. He's strengthening you. you. You know, maybe the Holy Spirit uses someone else to encourage you. And you've seen that in them. If there's any fellowship in the Spirit. If any affection and mercy. If your faith in Jesus Christ has ever led you to be affectionate or merciful with someone else. If any of this has ever occurred, Paul says, fulfill my joy by. Now listen to this. Listen to each of these little things that he drops in there and see if you can catch a common theme. Fulfill my joy by being like-minded. What does it mean to be like-minded? Now we dodge it. We dodge saying explicitly what it means because it almost feels bad in 2018. Being like-minded means thinking like each other. Now listen, one of the, I, I'm a millennial, okay? <laughs> I'm one of that class that we get bashed in the news all the time. We're the generation that's going to either ruin the world or save it, depending on who you listen to. Frankly, I think both are overreactions. The world's had several generations, and neither of them have either ruined it or saved it. But one of the worst things you can say to a millennial, it's almost insulting, is to say, well, you just don't think for yourself. You're, just, you're not an independent thinker. You just do what that book tells you to do. You don't think on your own. I'm like, well, no. I do think on my own. But thinking on your own doesn't mean that you get to come up with your own answers about things. I can be an independent thinker and still believe that 2 plus 2 equals 4. Now, just because my, my elementary school math teacher taught me that 2 plus 2 equals 4... Does that mean if I believe her, I'm not an independent thinker? No. That just means that 2 plus 2 does equal 4. It doesn't matter who thinks it or why they think it. It's just a fact. So when Paul says, be like-minded, yes, he does mean you think like each other. You think the same things a lot of other people think. Why? Christians, it's because we know they're right. When God says something, yeah, we believe it. Why? Because He's right. It's not right because we believe it. We believe it because it's right. So it makes total sense. Does anybody in here not believe 2 plus 2 equals 4? Does anybody in here doubt that? No. Does that mean you're not an independent thinker? No. That just means you know right when you see it. Christians, if you come in contact with Jesus, which by the way, if you're a Christian, you have. If you've met Jesus, 
What does the Bible say? Taste and see that the Lord is good. If you've tasted and seen, then you know the Lord is good. And if all Christians have tasted and seen the same Lord, all of them know He's good, which means we ought to all think the same thing about Him, right? This is by being like-minded, having the same love. That Christians ought to love each other. Listen to me. Strictly because they're Christians. Have you ever had somebody, I know certainly not this church, because nobody in this church has ever got on anybody else's in this church's nerves. I know that doesn't happen here. But in other churches, I hear that it does happen. That people get on each other's nerves. Right? Sometimes, in fact, all the time, it's just healthy to just start from this point. If somebody loves the same Jesus you do and believes the same gospel you do, y'all, they ain't got to earn your love. Jesus earned your love for them. They're worthy of you loving them because Jesus loved them. That's the only reason. Say, well, I'd love them more if they'd serve more. I'd love them more if they give more. I'd love them more if they came more. Stop that. Stop it. Here's why you ought to love them. Because Jesus loved them enough to hang on a cross for them. They're worth it. Well, they don't love me. That's beside the point. If you've experienced the love of Christ then you show it to other people who are identified as Christians too. It doesn't matter if they hadn't quote-unquote earned it. Love them anyway. The same love. Being of one accord. Christianity sponsored by Honda. Somebody said, I heard somebody tell it was a bad pastor joke one time. Did you know that all the apostles drove the same car? No, how? Well, the Bible says they were all in one accord. A bad pastor joke. I don't know why I told it, but it makes me laugh. Being of one accord, what does that mean? This means that our relationships with each other should not be characterized by, by pulling opposite directions. We ought not to... This is Y'all, I'm going to say a Baptist cuss word. Are y'all ready? Split. That's a bad word in a lot of churches because it happens, right? One group of folks start thinking one way and another group of folks start thinking another. And, and, and there are some situations in which a split is warranted. If I had a group of people in this church who were intent that they said, Pastor, you know, we, we don't think what you think about the Bible. We think there's some mistakes in it and you not always teach it the way you do, then I would say that this might not be the church for you or I might not be the pastor for you. Depending depending on how big the group is, then that might be time for a split. But y'all, churches split over silly things. Churches split over whether or not we're sitting in pews or chairs. Churches split over the color of the carpet. Churches split over the kind of lights that are in the ceiling. 
Churches split over guitars or pianos. Screens or books. Bulletins or no bulletins. Churches split over silly, silly things. That's not being in one accord. That's not being in one accord. And we can think it's the biggest deal in the world when we're involved in it. Oh my gosh, this is the biggest fight ever. Next time that, because it's a fleshly urge, okay? It's your flesh. I'm not downing you or calling you immature if you ever find the, the urge to just rise up in you because every one of us has that in ourselves, okay? Every one of us has that in ourselves. But the next time we're tempted... And, and I'll say, I, I will give this disclaimer. In the two plus years I've been here, I have never yet seen a, a knockdown, throw out, raucous fight in this church. I've never seen it. And I pray that that continues, right? We don't ever want to have that. But if you ever find the urge to raise a stink, I'm not saying politely disagree and explain why you do. I'm saying raise a stink. If that urge ever rises within you, Paul says, ask this question. Because remember, he's saying, Christians, this is how we deal with each other. Ask yourself what it would look like if someone from off the street walked in the door and saw you fighting about it. Would somebody be more likely to come to Christ and repent of their sins if they came in here and found us rioting over the color of the carpet? No. They wouldn't. So, not that there is a big carpet fight going on in the church. I just pick it because, frankly, I think carpet's one of the silliest things to fight about. You walk on it, (laughs) y'all. That's all it is. You walk on it. But one accord. And then finally, and most provocatively, of one mind. Y'all, on some issues, and I'm not going to name any of them because they're, they're, they're obvious, you can turn on the news, you can read them, whatever you want. There, there are cultural issues that you commonly hear things like the liberal Christian position or the conservative Christian position. Y'all, the, the Bible doesn't really leave room for, for that. Here, I'll pick one that's pretty cut and dry. Abortion. There is not a liberal Christian position on abortion that favors it and a conservative Christian position on abortion that's against it. There is a Christian position and that's against it. Any other position you hold, whatever you want to call it, it's not Christian. You can go back to the earliest time period in the church and see that that was one of the very first things believers started getting rid of as soon as they could because human beings are made, men, women, boys, and girls, in the image of God. Every single one of them has value because they're made in God's image. And God forbade murder. That's the Christian position. If you claim Christ, that's your position on abortion. If you pick a different one, you have left the position of Christ. That's what Paul means when he says of one mind. That there are certain things that all Christians agree on. At least 
all biblical Christians agree on. So we ought to be of one mind about that. All the benefits of Christ are community benefits. We are part of the kingdom of God. And what makes a kingdom a kingdom? What does every kingdom have? A king. Now none of us, none of us Americans have ever had a king. Right? We've never had one. We have elected officials. Do you know what's different between elected officials and kings? Elected officials, you got some power over, over what they do. If you don't like what they do, you vote them out. You replace them with somebody that does something different. You don't vote out a king. A king tells you how it's going to be. And you're either loyal to the king or you're not. And Christians, as members of Christ's kingdom, are servants of the king. Which means his objectives are our objectives. His thoughts are our thoughts. His thoughts are... Or his beliefs are our beliefs. We line up under him. So we ought to effectively think the same matters about doctrine or life. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 2, chapter, verses 13 through 16. He says, These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them, because they're spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have whose mind? The mind of Christ. And then Paul says in Philippians 2.5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in who? Christ Jesus. That means we ought to follow what Jesus thinks about everything. Everything. That there are some things as Christians we don't have a choice about. And frankly, once you've met Jesus, it shouldn't be like, Oh my goodness, I really, really, really want to support the sinful lifestyle, but I'm not allowed to do it because I'm a Christian. Once you know Jesus, you understand that sin is destructive and evil and kills, and you ought to be against it. You should be changed to do that. So Christians first, fellowship with each other means thinking more like one another. We ought to share a lot of the same opinions, which in light of Christ being king are not really opinions. Second, fellowship means thinking less of yourself. Less of yourself. And I don't mean thinking of yourself as less valuable, that you're made in the image of God, that you have that value, that's why you're right. What I mean is, I probably should have said it, it doesn't mean thinking less of yourself, it means thinking about yourself less. Thinking about yourself less. Paul says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let, esteem, let each esteem others better than himself. So after being instructed to be of like mind on the basis of shared membership in Christ's kingdom, Paul told the Philippians that what this does not constitute an appropriate motive for action in the church. If you ever think, I'm stepping up to the next tier of service in the church. I'm climbing that, climbing that church ladder. No, 
No, no. Well, I started out as a as an usher. Then I got to be a Sunday school teacher. I'm gonna try and make it deacon before I kick the bucket. No, 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 no. That's not the way this works. See, here's here's the thing. There's a king, and then all the rest of us are just servants. We just have different assignments. That's all. There, there, there is no climbing the ladder. There ought not ever be anything. There's, there's a negative here. Paul says, don't be motivated through selfish ambition or conceit. Don't ever look at something in the church you won't get mad. Y'all, I've heard of churches literally where people left the church because somebody got hired to do a job that somebody in the church wanted to get hired to do. That they, they'd been doing this long enough. I, it's my turn. Somebody else got hired. Them, their family, and their friends left the church. How dare you? That was my position. Selfish ambition. That's not healthy. Conceit. I can't believe they let that person do that. I'm way better at that than they would. And, and this is stuff that we would never say out loud. But in the dark, silent parts of the night when nobody can hear what you're thinking except Jesus because he still knows. You get bitter about that. Why are they doing that? I ought to be doing that. Somebody else that I like better than them ought to be doing that. Conceit. He says, don't let that motivate your action in the church, but in lowliness of mind. This word lowliness... Uh, it, in some translations, is humility. Anybody have humility there? Yeah, I got, a, I got a few that I see humility. It's from the New American Commentary. It says, before the New Testament era, the word humility had a negative connotation. The adjective related to it was frequently employed, and especially so, to describe the mentality of a slave. It conveyed the idea of being base, unfit, shabby, mean, or of no account. Hence, humility could not have been regarded by the pagan as a virtue to be sought after. Y'all, no Christian, no church ever split because people got in a fight to see who was the most humble. It don't work that way. Because what's the definition of being humble? That you think of other people as more important than yourself. So when two people are constantly more concerned about, other, about the other than themselves, that precludes all selfish ambition. That precludes all conceit. And Paul gives us the best example of this ever in this exact chapter, Philippians 2, 6-8. He's talking about Jesus. He said, Who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Now ask yourself, who in the universe is more deserving of glory and recognition than Jesus? Nobody. Nobody is. 
When Jesus was in heaven prior to his incarnation at the right hand of the Father, the eternal second member of the Trinity, all of the angels recognized him for who he was. All of the Old Testament saints recognized him for who he was. Nobody would have raised their voice at him. Nobody would have questioned him. To walk into his presence is to fall on your face in worship. And yet, what was Jesus willing to do? Jesus divested himself of all that recognition and left the 24-7 worship of the angels, left the recognition of the Old Testament saints, left the right hand of the Father, left glory, and came down here to be incarnate in a hog trough, or not a hog trough, but a cattle trough. To be called crazy by his own earthly family, to be accused of being an illegitimate child possessed by a demon, to be spit on and whipped by Roman guards and have all of his closest friends and confidants abandon him in his hour of need. That's what Jesus was willing to humble himself to the point of. So the next time we think of ourselves, have you ever gotten in trouble for thinking too much of yourself? I have multiple times. If anybody in the universe could have thought the most of himself, it was Jesus. And it would have been warranted. But Jesus didn't. So if we ever get ourselves in a situation where we're thinking, man, I'm more qualified. I'm better for that. Why do they get to do it? Or let's take it on a, let's take it on a macro level, okay? Maybe not individuals. This is real bad about pastors. We've actually talked about this at a pastor's meeting on Tuesday before. There is something called pastor jealousy that you really have to look out for. And this is when the church down the road starts growing. And the pastor looks at the church down the road and goes, what do they got that we don't have? How come they're growing and we're not? And I'm mad. I can preach as good as he can. We got as many people visiting as they do. Why is God? And, and it just, God doesn't honor that. Oh, y'all, y'all didn't know pastors were, were, could, could fall into that? Oh, yeah. Pastors can. That's one reason I'm, I'm very blessed to have a bunch of pastors that'll look me in the face and say, hey, you're screwing up, buddy. If it ever comes to that, they'll tell me. But, You can think too much of yourself when really what it boils down to is are you serving where Jesus called you to serve? That's the only thing that matters. Two disciples walking around behind Jesus. What about him? Where is he going to be in the kingdom? Jesus said, you don't worry about him. You follow me. Just follow Jesus. Don't worry about nobody else. Think about other people as though they're more important than you. Don't be ambitious. Don't be conceited. Think about them more than you think about yourself. And then finally, fellowship means thinking more like one another. Fellowship means thinking less of yourself or maybe thinking of yourself less. Finally, fellowship means thinking more of one another. Look at verse 4. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. 
This is a pretty literal translation into Greek. And I checked multiple translations. I looked at the New King James. I looked at the Holman Christian Standard. I looked at the ESV. I looked at the New American Standard Bible. Um, I even looked at the NIV. Um, <clears throat> I think we might actually have all of those translations represented here. Um, it's fairly literal except for one distinct difference. How many of you have some form, interactive church? I know, raise your hand. How many of you have some form of the word interests in verse 4? Anywhere? Yeah, probably most of you. Uh, That word interests does not exist in the original text. So why is it there? Well, because the the meaning is there. But I I take a little bit of issue with, with narrowing it just to that. Even though that meaning is correct. Even though that meaning is included, it's not the only meaning of what Paul says in this verse. I point this out because it might be overly narrow. The, the word here, look out for, the, word, the way it's translated, look out for, is the Greek word skopeo. You know this word, even if you don't know Greek. If I say a stethoscope, it's something used to look at, well, not look at, because you don't see it with your eyes, but hear kind of what's going on in your chest. If I say, uh, you know, a, a telescope, right? You're looking at a distance. The word scopeo is where we get the word scope. Where we get the word look at. Not just look out for, but to look at. To pay attention to. Uh, it contains the range of meanings to notice carefully, to watch out for, to be concerned about, or to keep thinking about. So once you know this, even though the word interest is certainly within the range of meaning, the the verse is not so narrowly confined. We shouldn't just pay attention to the interests of others more than we pay attention to our own interests. We should just flat pay more attention to other people than we do ourselves. One of the most depressing things you can do in your Christian life is to spend your time looking in the mirror. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says one of the worst things you can do as a minister of the gospel is to listen to yourself more than talk to yourself. Have you ever just looked in the mirror? Like your Christian faith can become... What have I done for my spiritual growth today? What have I done to to serve, to to grow in my faith today? What have I done to do this today? What have I done? what, What about me? What about me? What about my spiritual growth? What about my, where am I at? Where am I at? What have I done? Have I fulfilled what I need to today? Problem with that is it's all centering on yourself. Paul says to spend more time looking at other, and not in a judgmental way, okay? I'm not saying... Whenever you, this is not the thing where you hear the pastor preaching the sermon and the first thing that pops into your mind is, man, I wish they were here to hear that today. That is not what, I, that is not what I'm telling you to do. What I'm saying is, think about it this way. Rather than looking in your mirror and saying, what can I do to grow myself spiritually today? Look out your window and say, which of these people made in the image of God can I serve today? Which of these people that God has called me to live my life in fellowship with 
Which of them can I love today? If you think too much about yourself, you do what we call sit, soak, and sour. This is how you end up with folks church hopping. If I say church hopping, do you know what I mean? Folks who never settle anywhere, that they're always in church, but they're never in the same church twice. In a row, at least. Church hopping. The way you end up with church hoppers is you usually hear some phrase like this. I just didn't get fed today. I need to go somewhere where I can get fed. There's a whole lot more talk about in Scripture about feeding than there is about getting fed. There's a whole lot more in Scripture about serving than about being served. In fact, Jesus said that Himself. The Son of Man came to serve and not be served. If you want to know I guarantee you take this to the bank. Listen, you can write this October 29th, 2018, personal guarantee by, uh, by, from Pastor Josh Mosley based on Scripture. So it's not really me guaranteeing it. It's more like God guaranteeing it. But I, I'm just relaying it to you right now. If you want to know, guarantee 100% beyond a shadow of a doubt how to see great spiritual growth in your life, think about yourself a little bit less and think about serving other people a little bit more. That'll do it every time. Well, pastor, I would share the gospel with people a little bit more if I was a little bit more mature and confident in my faith. You know how to be more mature and confident in your faith? Share the gospel with people more. That's where the growth is. Trust Jesus more. Step out on a limb in faith more. Open your mouth more. Go to other people more. And don't worry as much about yourself. Let Jesus worry about giving you the growth. And you just worry about obeying. Don't just look out for other people's interests more. Look at other people more. Philippians 1, verses 21 through 26. Paul says, and this is a great example of it. Paul says, For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose I cannot tell, for I am hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Paul's writing this from a prison. He says, guys, I got two roads in front of me. Either I can depart, I can die, and I can go be with Jesus Christ, and I'll be out of this nasty cell. I won't ever be hungry again. I won't ever be sick again. I won't ever be cold again. I won't ever be naked again. I won't ever be alone again. I'll be with Jesus. Everything will be great, and I won't have to worry about this earthly mess anymore. But it's hard for me to choose to do that when I know if I stay here, I get to serve you. Does that not blow your mind? That y'all, we, we're so obsessed with getting to heaven. Y'all, who's getting you to heaven? You or Jesus? He's going to get you there. You trust Him. It's not going to be you. All of, our, all of our songs and singing and thinking about, oh my God, oh my goodness, when we get to heaven. Oh, when I get to heaven. Jesus is concerned about where you are right now. 
Who's in front of you right now? Who can you serve right now? That was so hard for Paul that he said, Nevertheless, I remain, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. Paul said, Even though I really, really want to go and be with Jesus, but I am tired of this mess. Anybody tired of just the mess? Yeah. Doesn't, doesn't being with Jesus sound real good? You know why you're not there yet? Because He's got stuff for you to do here. Wherever you are, that's where you need to be. Wherever you are, that's where you need to be. Don't, don't, yeah, keep, keep one eye toward the eastern sky because Jesus can come back anytime He so pleases. But I promise you, if you belong to Him, He's not going to miss you if, if, if you turned away to serve somebody who needed serving real quick. Think like each other. Be of one mind. Be of one love. Think about yourself a little bit less. And think about others a little bit more, and that's the recipe for a healthy fellowship of the saints. But what about you? What if, what if you're not a saint? What if you've never placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? What if you're not part of that fellowship that you want to be? What if you want to know how to be forgiven of your sins and have the promise that Jesus is going to come back and get you, that you do belong to Him, that you are part of His kingdom? I want to talk to you about that. Uh, Ms. Joyce is going to lead us in a couple of verses of an invitation hymn. It's going to be hymn number 307. Uh, you can remain seated, and, and we're going to sing a couple of verses of that. If you need to come and talk to me about what it means to know Jesus, why don't you come on? You can come down the aisle and come talk to me. I'm not going to shove a mic in your face and have you explain to everybody what we talked about. Um, I'm honestly probably going to tell you, hey, let's talk a little bit more this afternoon You know, when we got more time to discuss. Um, you can fill out the guest card on the side of your bulletin, put it in the offering plate, just give me a note that says, Pastor, I need to talk to you. Catch me at the back door. Just don't leave here if God's calling you to respond. I'm going to pray, um, and if you need to come, you come. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the privilege of being here, Lord. We thank you for the privilege of being included in a fellowship like the Fellowship of the Saints, where we all can share the same joys, we can share the same love, we can share the same sufferings, Lord, we can share the same encouragement. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help us to think of ourselves less and to think of others more, because that's the example you gave us, that you came to serve and not to be served. So, Lord, I pray that Satanism would be a church full of people who maintain their fellowship by being one accord, thinking of ourselves less and thinking of each other more, because that's what you told us to do. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.